Welcome to the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm, a weekly podcast bringing biblical teaching to everyday people in ways they can understand and put into practice. I'm your host, Gwen DeSelm, and I'm so glad you've joined me today. Our teacher is Dave DeSelm, founding senior pastor of Fellowship Missionary Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where he served for nearly 35 years. Dave is currently the executive director of Dave DeSelm Ministries, offering resources for everyday pastors and the people they lead, such as a weekly blog, devotionals, individual and group coaching, speaking, and more. Look us up at davedeselmministries.org. In this message, Pastor Dave wraps up his series on Elijah by focusing on the final mission of this prophet's life, discipling his successor. There's a lot we can learn about being and making disciples from the relationship between Elijah and his protege. Lessons that can help us as we seek to fulfill Jesus' great commission to go and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Here's Pastor Dave. Let's take our Bibles in hand, shall we, and open them up to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 19. I recently came across a quote from a man named Max Dupree who wrote the book, Leadership is an Art. And here's what he had to say. Succession is one of the key responsibilities of leadership. Yet of all the laws of leadership... This is the one that the fewest leaders seem to learn. Strong leaders, by definition, lead strongly, but they often also lead over time. And in so doing, their influence grows and their position seems to be cemented. But when you have a long-tenured leader, people have a tendency to deny the inevitable. The fact of the matter is, all leaders will one day pass from the scene. Through retirement, through through relocation, uh, through death, leaders will pass on. But because of the denial of that, there's a high price to be paid. Some of you know very well, there have been some tremendous college basketball coaches. In their heyday, they had powerhouses, but upon their retirement, the team returned to mediocrity, didn't it? They did not prepare a successor. There can be founders of organizations that move it forward with great great power. But upon the retirement of the founder, the organization flounders. Without good succession, you have no success. Whether we care to believe it or not, the time will come when each one of us will pass off the scene. Here's the question. What kind of legacy will you leave? Who are you handing the baton of faith off to? John Maxwell, one of the great gurus of leadership, gave me these perceptive lines. He said, achievement comes to someone when he's able to do great things for himself. When you do good things for yourself, you can call that achievement. Advancement comes when that leader empowers followers to do great things for him. If you can motivate others to do great things for you, your organization, your team is going to advance significance comes when he develops leaders to do great great things with him. You get to the place where you actually can get people to do good things with you, you're moving towards significance, but success only comes when a person creates an environment for others to do great things without him. 
when you're gone, as a parent, as a leader in business, I talked with a lady after first gathering, she's part of an organization, 4,000 people they're influencing. And she said, my fear is when the founder retires, the organization will fall apart because there's been no one who's being groomed to take over. In short, there is no success without a successor. There's no success without a successor. The greatest leader who ever lived knew this. The more I study the life of Jesus, the more I'm impressed with him, not simply as an individual, but as a leader. And the most impressive thing to my way of thinking in his three years of public ministry isn't the thousands that he fed. It's not the hundreds that he taught. It's not the scores that he healed. The most remarkable thing to me was how he chose to invest for three years in 12 guys. Specifically in three, right? Peter, James, and John. A management specialist might might have said to him, what a waste of time. You only have three years, but you're going to spend all of that time in three guys? But the fact is, because he did, you're sitting here today. Because they took seriously his mandate to go make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. And guess what? Now it's our turn. Who are you passing the faith on to? Who are you investing in? Jesus left us these marching orders. You can see by way of the screen. Let's lift our eyes and voices and read this out loud and together, shall we? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Go therefore and make disciples. Follow my example. As I have invested in you, you go invest in somebody else. As you have learned from me, go teach others. Interestingly, there are two characters in the Old Testament who personified this. First is Moses. You ever thought about that? Moses, for all that he did by way of liberation, all he did by way of leadership, giving of the law, he also strategically invested in somebody. Who did Moses invest in? Joshua. He invested for years in Joshua so that when the time came that Moses died, the promised land is to be entered, you read these words in the first chapter of the book that bears his name, the book of Joshua, it says this, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you lead the people into the promised land. Can you imagine succeeding Moses? But because Moses had invested in him strategically, they moved into the land. The other example of strategic discipleship is seen here in chapter 19, and it's the engagement, or the uh, discipleship, that is, of Elijah into a young man named Elisha. Taking a look at the 15th verse of chapter 19. The Lord said to Elijah, go back the way you came, go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Heziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, you may want to underline this, Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Find a successor. Find someone who you're going to pour yourself into. Moving down to verse 19. So Elijah went from there, and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. 
he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. And Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? That is to say, do what you have to do. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. And they ate. And he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. For the next seven years, the two were partnered up. Elisha began as a servant. He learned. He watched. He grew. He developed. And as we'll see in a few moments, he then took the cloak or mantle of leadership. But two things I want you to see. First of all, it struck me, Elijah recognized the importance of discipleship. Elijah recognized that his time on earth was coming to an end. And he asked the question that many of us who are older need to ask. When I go, who will I have poured myself into who will pick up the mantle? Who have I effectively marked so that they, in fact, can pass it on to somebody else who will pass it on to somebody else? He recognized the importance of this. But secondly, for Elisha, he submitted to the process. He submitted the process. He recognized, I'm not ready for this yet. I'm younger. I need someone to invest me. He needed to see a model. He needed to hear from a mentor. And when he had the chance, he jumped at it. For the kingdom of God to move forward, it required the cloak being passed on. And I would suggest this to us. If we hope to see the gospel move forward in power in our part of the city and around the world, it's going to be because people strategically understand the importance of investing in a few. Investing in them. Pouring yourself into them. Recognizing that they, in fact, will take it forward. This leads to a very important principle that you need to understand. Disciples are not mass-produced. They are hand-tooled. You can't create disciples completely through a sermon series. It can help. You can't make disciples through a class. It can help. You can't make disciples through offering a seminar, giving a book. Disciples are made when life is put on life. When there is someone to watch, ask questions to, learn from, it takes months, if not years. But if you do it right, you will have poured yourself into someone else who eventually can pour themselves into somebody else. And it goes on and on and on. Here's the deal. In this room today, there are two groups of people. I'm not talking about men and women. I'm not talking about young and old. There are potential Elijahs in this room and there are potential Elishas in this room. Some of you have walked with the Lord long enough, it is high time you begin to start pouring yourself into people. You say, I'm, I'm not a perfect example. You don't have to be a perfect example. You're a living example. Who could you pour yourself into? Who could you mark? It's not going to be quick. It's not going to be easy. Others of you are Elishas. You need to be invested. Are you open to that? Are you open to somebody pouring his or her life into you? 
to the extent that we as thousands of people at Cold Call Fellowship Home grasp this, to that extent, we'll move forward. So, got some words for those of you who are Elijah's and for a few, those of you who are Elisha's. If you're an Elijah, if you've walked with the Lord for some length of time, let me give you some insights that come really out of this text. There's more, but this at least gives you something. First of all, I notice here, and the principle is this, ask God for a name. Say, I, I don't know who I would invest in. Ask God. Jesus prayed all night, and the Father gave him the name of 12 men. He'd met them, but he'd met a lot of guys. Somehow, Peter, James, and John, and Philip, and Thomas had caught his eye, but he prayed all night for clarity of who to pour himself into. Who might God want you to pour yourself into? Ask God for a name. Verse 16, God gave Elijah a name. He said, anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat. He gave him a name. Elisha was God's choice for Elijah. Who might his choice be for you? You have unique relational connections. Don't take them for granted. People in your school, at the shop, in this church, on your ministry team, in your neighborhood. Who might God give you? God, give me a name. Give me a name. Give me a couple names. Who might I pour myself into? What you're going to find is this. And I've, I shared this with some of the guys I'm discipling. You'll start building a pool of possibilities. Start praying over the pool. You may have eight, ten names that come. Don't choose quick. Start praying over them. Start watching those eight to ten. What do you observe in them? Are they teachable? Are they open? Will they submit to you? Will they learn from you? Start watching those eight to ten and narrow it down. Second, when you get it narrowed down, give high invitation along with high challenge. Notice Elijah says, it says in, uh, in verse 19, he put the cloak around him. The cloak was a symbol of his prophetic office. What's he saying? Young man, I see potential in you. He put the cloak around him. But in giving that high invitation, I want you to walk with me. I want you to learn from me. Elisha recognized he is asking something of me. He's expecting me to take this seriously. He's expecting me to receive the cloak and to pass on the cloak. Whenever I approach someone to disciple, after observing and praying, I'll say this to them. I'm willing to pour myself into your life. You will have access to me that few people have. But I'm going to ask you to lean into this with me, and I'm going to challenge you, by the time we're done, you do it to somebody else. High invitation, high challenge. One more insight in this text. Monitor the enthusiasm of their response. It's striking how Elisha responds. You see that? Twelve sets of oxen. It could very well have been that he was a wealth, from a wealthy family. He's driving the twelfth. That means he had 11 sets of servants. He had position. He had wealth. But when given this invitation, he slaughters the oxen, burns the plows, gives away the meat, and becomes a servant. He's choosing to prioritize this. Monitor their enthusiasm. 
Don't ever try to talk someone into being your disciple. Don't. If you've got to twist their arm, you've got the wrong person. Their ears should perk up. They may think, wow, that's big. That's fine. They may think, they may say, could I think about that and pray about that for a few days? Absolutely. But don't push them into it. Don't talk them into it. It might well be that you've got the right person at the wrong time. If they say, well, I'm, I'm working 50-hour weeks right now. We've got five kids below the age of six at home. <laughs> I really don't think I can do this right now. It's okay. See, God has people who's the right person at the right time. Challenge them. Challenge them. You're listening to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. Pastor Dave will return in just a moment with the conclusion of today's message. But if you're enjoying this podcast, we hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review. Then help us spread the word by sharing this podcast with others. You can also support this ministry by clicking on the donate button on our podcast page at davedesellministries.org slash podcast. If you're interested in exploring more about disciple making, check out the Everyday Pastor blog. In these weekly posts, Pastor Dave regularly dives into the topic of discipleship and creating a discipling culture. He also offers practical insights on other topics for everyday pastors and leaders, such as leadership skills, relationships, and heart matters. Head over to davedesellministries.org and browse through the over 100 posts available in the Everyday Pastor blog. Now let's return to today's teaching. Second, if you're an Elisha, some thoughts come out of this text as well. Look for the opportunity to be discipled. We aren't told that Elisha was actively looking for this role, but when the cloak was offered, he took it. What might this mean for you if you're an Elisha? Why not start praying for someone to invest in you? God, would you bring someone across my path? Consider your relational world. Who do you see whose life you admire? They're not perfect, but you see them as a growing Christian. That man or that woman, you think, I wonder if I could approach them and see if they want to mentor me, disciple me. Look for an opportunity. Look for an opportunity. Second, when you're given that opportunity, prioritize that privilege. Prioritize it. Don't say yes if you can't act upon the yes. I see him burning the plows and killing the oxen. He wasn't messing around. He said, you know what? I'm going to rearrange my life to allow this to happen. One of the greatest discouragements for would-be Elijahs is when their Elishas say yes, but act like no. Hey, we're going to be doing this. I'm busy. Can you meet me here? We're going to go try that. I'm busy. Sorry, I can't do it. I can't do it. Why'd you say yes in the first place? To be blunt about it, don't waste my time. See, I only have one life to live. And I could only invest in a few. Don't waste my time. If you're not the right person or this isn't the right time, that's fine. Maybe you'll be the right time for somebody else, but don't waste mine. And I say it in love, but I also recognize I am a steward of my one and only life. Now, when I'm gone, 
I want to see a bunch of disciples who are making disciples, who are making disciples. That make sense? Because you see, success is not success without a successor. Lastly, position yourself as a learner and a servant. Don't miss that 21st verse. He set out to follow Elijah. That means Elijah led, right? And became his servant. Ultimately, after seven years, they became partners. But early on, he was a learner and a servant. It's not going to work if you ask to be mentored and you keep on giving your opinion. You ask to be discipled and you have your own ideas. Listen, learn, watch, observe. Stance yourself as a follower and a servant and see what God may do. Move over a few pages to the right and let's watch how the cloak is passed. 2 Kings chapter 2. You're going to see one of the most dramatic exits in all the Bible. 2 Kings chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way. This is seven years after the fact now. They were on their way from Gilgal, and Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here. The the Lord has sent me to Bethel. I'm going to be going away, son. Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets at Bethel, that's like a, a seminary of sorts, came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. So be quiet. Just let it go. Let it go. I don't want to talk about it. Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you lived, I'll not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know the Lord is going to take your master from you today? I know. So be quiet. I don't want to talk about this. Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. I love that line. The two of them walked on. Friends, partners, years together. Fifty men from the company of prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha stopped the Jordan. And Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Boy, I'd love to be the man you were. Could I have a double portion of your spirit? You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. If you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. And as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. And he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. It's a sign of mourning in ancient times. He's rent his garment in grief. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And he took the cloak that had fallen from him and he struck the water with it. Where is now is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. And the company of prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah 
is now resting on Elisha. And if you'd read on in 2 Kings, you'd read about this amazing man and what he did. The focus of his ministry was different, but the power was every bit as real. And he took that cloak and he advanced the kingdom. And as I look at this, I see what can happen. That when a man of God dies, the dream of God does not have to die. It simply goes on if that one has been invested in. Now, something else to be seen here. He then ministered in the spirit of God, but in a different way. When you disciple someone, you are not creating a clone. You're pouring yourself into them, whereby the spirit then can take them. And what God does in, through, and for that person is not your business. But if you've invested in them, it can't be kingdom business. Elijah lived a life of remarkable faithfulness. He stood tall when others were cowering. He spoke truth when others were stuttering. But perhaps the greatest legacy he left was the fact that he poured his life into a young man who eventually poured his life into others. Question, will you leave that legacy of making disciples who make disciples? who make disciples. Let's pray. Lord, as I wrap this thing up, two questions come to me that I share with my friends. Will I live the life of an Elijah, standing strong, speaking truth, making a difference? But I also have to ask the second question. Will I leave a legacy? Who will be able to say, because you poured yourself into me, my life is different, and now I'm pouring my life into somebody else? I pray that neither one of these questions will leave us soon. That we'd see the kingdom move forward because of the spirit of Elijah. Thank you for your time, our time together in this remarkable book. And I pray that it mark us forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. If you'd like to let Pastor Dave know how this message has blessed you, send him an email at Dave at davedeselmministries.org. Then join us next time as we look to God's Word for help and hope as we follow Jesus every day.